0: The Everything Sequel Podcast is brought to you by Brew Bar and the Vegas
1: Beer Guys. The Everything Sequel Podcast contains explicit language. Because we learned it from you, Dad! Hello and welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. This is still the 1982 Singles Edition. This is it, everybody. The rubber match between Matt and Tom. We're talking Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, directed by Tommy Lee Wallace. My name is Michael Shantz of the How Dare you Awards. Joining me, of course, my co-host, Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions. Give it to us, Tom. Don't you have any Halloween spirit?
0: (laughs) (laughs) And I'm genuinely not sure if that's a joke or not.
1: All right, joining
0: us as well. For the record, there is no such thing as Halloween spirit.
1: Right. (laughs) Joining us as well, of course, sticking with us throughout all these 1982, we're calling single sequels, Matthew Aldrich, of uh, co-writer of uh, Coco. Hello, Matt. Hey guys, I'm.
2: We're here. We have we've arrived at. We've, we're at the, the seminal moment. We're, we've arrived at the at the. No place. more days
0: to Halloween three.
2: No more days to Halloween. I think, I think, <laughs> I think I've made myself clear over the past few episodes that um, this was my least favorite of the four.
1: Yeah, but when we talked about Airplane 2, you started talking yourself out of it. You were getting more and more angry. Yeah, I might have before to we discuss that movie. When
2: we recap at the end, um I might have to revisit my rankings because Airplane 2 really was, you know, not only r- lazy, but it was, you know, it it, it, it we, we we we're not going to relitigate Airplane 2, but um you know, for me this movie um on the whole, just didn't deliver on any of the promises that a sequel should. Um, I I laud its attempt to to turn Halloween into an anthological idea, Series. series like Twilight Zone. I actually think that's a really good idea.
1: A hundred and fifty years before American Horror Story yeah. started on television. Yeah. I. I. I just. They I, had this idea. I
2: like the idea behind it, and I wish it had worked. Honestly, but, um, but I, I, you know, you mentioned Tommy Lee Wallace. Is that was that? Yeah. It?
1: He also directed *Fright Night* Part Two and the *It* mini-series. So, and he is uh, he,
0: he's a pro- he was production designer on the first two Halloweens. Yeah, um, and I just, he's a he's a carpenter protege. If you see a picture of him; he looks like carpenter's son. Oh
2: he's
1: wow! He's not,
0: but he, oh, wow. he Looks like he looks like a mini John Carpenter.
1: Well, listen, we uh,
2: <laughs> I just I just we found had... I found this the least enjoyable to watch.
1: That was okay. That, that's well. That's let me s- tell you this though. We were all, I referenced at the end of our last episode, I talked, the last thing I said was Rotten Tomatoes gave Piranha 2, The Spawning, 6%. This movie, which Matt and I, I think I have right, Matt, when I say that we both list this movie as our least favorite in the series, Mm. or rather, my third least favorite. I had Airplane 2 last. Mm. Were You you had this movie dead last. I had it dead last, yeah. Tom, this is your favorite movie in the series. The two movies most popular, consensus-wise, on Rotten Tomatoes, this movie and Airplane 2. Fuck This yeah. movie at 41% and Airplane 2 at 42%. So we're through the looking glass.
2: We are completely out yeah. of touch with, with
1: America. Well, and... it, it is, I mean... And I've said before, Tom, the only reason I think you <laughs> like this movie as much as you do, we're four minutes into the podcast, I'm going to ruin the James Bond. This is a James Bond movie.
0: I don't think you're wrong. But I like it for other reasons. You can't because I'm right. Unconsciously.
1: (laughs) No, I'm saying James Bond is such a part of your DNA that even when you don't recognize a movie as a James Bond movie, you will like it the most in a series of single sequels because it's a James Bond
0: movie. Even after writing a note... That describes one of the characters as Daniel's money penny. I still hadn't thought that this was a Bond movie. I don't know the difference between my own own Bond frame of reference and a Bond frame of reference in the movie I'm watching. I don't know the difference anymore. (laughs) But yeah, you've got something there. It is certainly is not certainly not a
1: horror movie. But we've got a full on Blofeld character here, right? Well, he's he's a
0: very nice version of Blofeld. I don't. I, I mean, we'll talk about this more. But I I I don't think he's a villain. The main the main bad guy. I think he's actually more of. I think he's a more successful hero than Daniel is. That's probably the one thing we might be able to agree on. <laughs> <laughs> that he's a more successful <laughs> protagonist of this movie than Dr. Daniel Chalice.
2: The, the protagonist of this movie, who I refuse to learn his name, I refuse. Dr. Daniel to learn... Chalice. Uh, I call him the poor man Stacey Keach. Um, oh my <laughs> wow. My heart, oh, my heart hurts. No.
1: I'm so sorry, Tom Atkins. If no. I don't that know if you're that is tash. a that is a heaping lobe of disrespect. No. for Tom Atkins. Oh. poor, 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 poor man. I, it, All through my notes, I just wrote because
2: I, I, I was shorthanding. I just wrote PMSK. It was the, the just the poor man Stacy Keach. Um, Throughout all my notes, um, in the I could same not way that. More. In in he was the um, like any movie that asks me to um, like get behind and root for the alcoholic absentee father um, right uh, oh we uh, don't have to stop that. doctor doctor who gets handsy with the nurses guy like like I, I, there's nothing about this guy I, when when I when I realized that he was going to be our protagonist I went fuck me. I just was so. I was like, "Don't even try to get me." One of to my notes too.
1: One of my notes says, "Deadbeat Dad," and the only play, reason that our heroine knows to find him is because the nurses told them this. Told her what bar he's right, at. This
2: is this is the this is the line of the movie for me. I wrote it down. Um, so poor man Stacy Keach is at the bar. And the and the the young woman comes and find finds him there, and she says, "One of the nurses told me I could find you here." Let's unpack that line. First of all, one of the nurses. Let's see, any of the nurses could have told him because we've seen how he treats nurses already. I could find you here. No, I would find you here. They knew exactly. I, she <laughs> is. Sugarcoating sugar coating right sugar the truth here when she good says writing. one of the nurses told me I could find you here. Bullshit. All of the nurses said you would be here. You rotten drunk of a fuck. Let, let, let's like, not stop like, Let's he, not stop
0: with the list of charges. Okay, so we've got <laughs> he absentee father, divorcee, drunk, lech, may or may not be a paedophile. He's certainly not concerned enough about the possibility that he may be a pedophile. Terrible detective, even worse spy. Goes into a fugue state at the moment moment any danger comes his way. (laughs) Can't hold himself in a fight. Loses a fight to a broken robot three times in succession. I mean, I love a sloppy hero. Right, and uh, this is <laughs> 1982. Is the year of Raiders of the Lost Ark. I know that Spielberg's idea behind Indiana Jones was that he would be a, a sloppy ca- hero counterpoint to the usual kind of slick action villain. But that's the Hollywood version of this. This is uh, Doctor Daniel Chalice is the real stuff. So here's He's the a thing, real though. world with, sloppy hero.
2: With these sloppy heroes, another another sloppy hero of 1982 was is uh, uh, Paul Newman in The Verdict right yeah and yeah and so so the the key to these sloppy heroes though is that there has to be one thing about them that they still fucking value and they do well like everything else about them could be totally corrupted yeah. they could be on the take drinking around the clock blah 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 but they still believe in justice you know that there's something right at the core of them that, that says like if i give up on this i might as well put a bullet in my head because then i'll, I'll truly have nothing left you yeah. know, and like I'll and take justice this, over a uh, huge the, payday. Sure, exactly, which is what the verdict is all about. You know, where mm-hmm. where he he, right. he against all reason and all advice um keeps making the like the wrong choice in pursuit of justice. <laughs> in this movie I, I There is nothing that he values, there's nothing he holds dear, there's nothing yeah. he does well, and there's no one who really loves him.
1: Like, there's yeah. nobody he's, like, doing it for. Nobody, well, that that's he's the funny thing to. is because when his ex-wife is introduced, who, by <laughs> the way, is Annie from the first Halloween movie, she's introduced as this nagging piece of shit bitch, but then... You know, twenty minutes into the movie, you're you, I'm thinking to myself, "Oh, I think she has a point." Oh, she definitely has a point. She's right.
0: He straight up lies. He straight up lies to her. Yes. Um, let's can can we let's back up for a second. <laughs> well, i just I just want to I just want to say, like, I I don't like, I love the fact that he's a sloppy hero. I think he basically he has one. Good move in this movie, which comes, let's generously say, it comes out of left field, where he suddenly understands how ancient magic and electronics work together. He has an epiphany. He figures out how to how to. He grabs
1: a box of buttons. Yeah,
0: that's right. He throws a box of buttons out, and, and like he figures out that that's how you, how you do this. He he's nice to black people, which is a, you know a big thing in Reagan's America, um, but. Beyond all that, this is all at the level of character, at the level of performance Tom Atkins is the most affable human being I've ever seen on screen. when when this this fucking monster of a protagonist is filtered through <laughs> Tom Atkins, it all comes out completely affable and I just I absolutely adore this performance. I really I
2: disagree more. I know uh, the, the I know act, <laughs> That's the actor where we to are. me I would cross what? a busy street to punch this guy in the face <laughs> the, the, there's nothing it, you know if this had been Steve Gutenberg said and and you defeat him very easily <laughs> yeah <I> think, <laughs> and he would I think, just go down yeah.
1: <laughs> I think when he saw like me coming he might just potatoes. fall into a bush <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> he likes black people he likes poor people redemption
1: <laughs> oh.
2: Um, let, can we, let's back up again, um, because this is a, this is a, tr- let's re-back up on our backup. Let's back up on the backup because what we have here, um, again, I'm, 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 my premise for, for what unites all of these movies is not Ken Fingelman, but the fact that these movies effectively killed their respective franchises. Um, right. Halloween obviously sort of rose from the ashes but um uh you know to provide background of this what was remarkable about Halloween 3 was that it was it was going to be a non Michael Myers movie mm-hmm. right that they that that uh after making two Michael Myers films uh uh John Carpenter um got the idea or they they sort of made a decision to go with the franchise to to make it anthological and to just every yeah. year have a new horror film or suspense film that centered around the Halloween, the Halloween holiday, the holiday of Halloween, à la Twilight Zone, or or yeah, or you know, I think it's it's really interesting that eighty two also gave us Creepshow, which was a, a variant on this idea of doing an sure. anthological horror, um, yeah. and um, and so, like I said, I think the idea was actually really good, and I I wish. Not being a fan of the Halloween movies, I wish they had succeeded. I think there were a lot of things sort of going against them making this idea like uh, this was going to be a hard sell because first of all you're two you've already made two movies you know you you can't sort of like y- you've established the rule that Halloween movies have this one guy in them, and he wears this mask right you sort of uh, by making the second one of michaels My- Michael myers movies, you sort of like cemented in the formula and so to say by the third one we're gonna we're gonna now reinvent the formula and we're gonna make it anthological that's an uphill climb plus you had a villain in michael myers that was really effective so it's like again going back to that pleasant surprise unpleasant surprise thing like not having michael myers in a halloween movie it's an unpleasant surprise you're not yeah. delivering on the thing that i think a lot of audience members would want to see so i feel didn't like they try to keep already,
1: secret, Tom tom like,
0: Well, let me, let let me, let me talk to you. I got, I've been reading, I've been reading, uh, well, this is what I was going to go into. Uh, I've been reading the book Taking Shape, which is a wonderful book. If, you know, if anyone's interested in sequels, this is a book you should read. There's actually two of them. Um, it's all about the, the Halloween franchise and how these movies were, were made. And, uh, The background to this, first of all, everyone but Mustafa Akkad, the producer of the Halloween movies, who is one of the four stakeholders of the rights to the franchise, uh, was completely behind this idea. He was the only one who thought it wouldn't work. Unfortunately, he sold his stake in the franchise to Dino De Laurentiis. Mm. so he had absolutely no say. He would have vetoed this, because if one of the stakeholders vetoed, they couldn't go ahead. He would have definitely vetoed this. He didn't. And later on, he bought back the rights, and the first thing he did was put Michael Myers back in it. So everyone was in on it. My talking point for this movie, it I, you're going to get the same answer no matter what question you ask. It's going to be like, I'm a Senate Republican on Meet the Press, and you're both Chuck Todd, Whatever question you ask, I'm going to go back to the same thing. The problems with this movie are all outside the movie. It's about the way it was marketed. It's about the way it was misrepresented to audiences. It's about what came before and what came afterwards. Um, The fact that this, they they should have, which they absolutely didn't, own up to the fact that this was an anthology movie. The title is completely wrong. Mm Mm-hmm. All those exterior aspects of this movie are the problem. To me, it completely asserts its autonomy, 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 and succeeds on its own terms. Um, that may be the last thing I say on this podcast because I just I I, I have like, you know, I could go either way on the robots. Okay, they're clearly not part of the original premise. They were a late addition. They don't need to be there. I get that. Not all of the performances are great. Okay, this is kind of uneven. <laughs> and that's it. That's that's literally everything else I think works in this movie. But behind the scenes and in terms of how this was shown to audiences, both before, uh, both the way it was presented, the way it was pre-promoted, promoted during the release and subsequently talked about was a complete misfire in every possible respect they should have they should have not titled it in a way that made it look like it was part of the franchise they should have owned up to the fact michael myers wasn't in it that it wasn't a horror movie that it was a science fiction movie and not even a scary science fiction movie um <laughs> and uh you know they and they should have they should they should in my opinion have run with this anthology series idea
2: Um, i don't disagree with anything you said yeah
0: yeah yeah yeah. uh, but um internally everything in the movie again apart from the robots and some of the performances i uh i think this is fun this is a fantastic
2: piece of cinema I that's where you and I part ways I think even like in the internal thing I feel like there is a taste issue um that the the taste dial is set to a setting that I can't kind of get behind um and it's I keep uh, that's the that's the canned response I'm going to have um uh, you know that I see sort of across the board um you know it's it's epitomized in like the love scenes between yeah, between right. the young, well, those are rape between the, yeah, the rape scenes between between <laughs> exactly. the young girl and and poor man Stacy Keach like you, oh. you, you can't um, like there's a t- there's a there's say a his name say his there is a taste level that
1: that um his name is Tom Atkins say his name <laughs> no no, oh.
2: there is a taste level that um that the the film so like there, there's that there's that kind of taste level and then there is like the sort of comedic amateurish like uh, uh overuse of the chirons that uh, uh you know are always telling us exactly where and when we are you know um that that uh make the it, it really makes me like um not uh feel um, safe or secure in the hands of the filmmaker like like i i, I it, hmm. it, it feels like internally like this guy, as you're saying, like what he was, the, he said he's the art director, or he, uh, was, production designer he was production production designer. Yeah, on the first so, Halloween. So yeah, like it, it feels like, um, um, it, you know, maybe he's sort of cutting his teeth in front of us um, with some of these things. But I just feel like they're the the underpinning of uh, of uh, this movie and sort of the taste that is guiding this movie, I just find so so tasteless. Like it's just it's so not my um cup of tea. Um but like again on paper the premise is fine. It's a body snatcher movie, right? It's a it's a it's, fr- it's a I sci-fi mean, it's pod people kind of body invasion of the movie.
0: body snatchers is a yeah. key intertext here. Yeah and and, and and that's why like that's why I think that if if they could have if they could have reframed the publicity for this movie with as much confidence as they, as they assert the fact that this is a paranoid piece of paranoid sci-fi within the movie, we wouldn't have had half the trouble in, in the way that people were thinking about this movie.
2: I, I agree. I agree that the, the, the way that this movie is presented, you know, and the, the number three in the title, um, you know, it, it does
1: that was unwise it
2: tees up the wrong movie and and um in every way and and so much i think so much about a successful movie is meeting audience setting and meeting audience expectations you know um and you know the marketing people could have teed this up however they wanted you know you know the truly the only truly scary thing about this movie in my opinion is the poster for it um and and the poster yeah, is kind of remarkable misleated. and something it's something that I actually remember I remember seeing that in, yeah, in, in movie theaters in 82 and I remember being scared by it then and it, you see it now and it's scary now and and when you see that that that, that the poster has only the and most only the, the movie most that... yeah only the most tenuous connection to the actual movie like the poster is the poster for a different movie, and and I always feel like well, like, they didn't boy, know what the movie you was you know, when really they made that like, poster.
0: They had no th- that's idea That's what I'm saying. What like was, like you yeah.
2: have, you had to you, you in 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 movies you have the luxury of setting being able to set audience audience expectations. You can you have the luxury of framing these movies however you want them to, uh, however you want to frame them, and it always baffles me that movies are framed one way and then you sit down and watch the movie and you're like, that wasn't that, you know, it's like, it's like right. seeing a, a, tra- a trailer for a, um, a, a movie and you go see the movie and you're like, Oh man, they, that movie wasn't, an, wasn't an action movie at all. They just made, they just cut an action trailer out of a, out of a, um, you know, maybe a more thoughtful movie because they were trying to sell it as an action movie. And that's always such a bad idea because people generally want to feel like they got what they paid for well, it it was an odd mix of
0: like it was an odd mix of naivete, as I understand it, naivete and cynicism.
2: Mm.
0: That meant that they were worried that they would lose the built-in audience for Halloween if they didn't call it Halloween Three. But they were also the the naive the naive part was that. Um, they genuinely thought that the audience, once they started watching the movie, would completely buy into it, and it, it's, and they also thought mm. they covered that mm. their backs by putting the words "all new" on the poster, uh, which you know, as they say in taking shape, <laughs> kind of negates the fact that every new movie has "all new" written on the poster. Um, uh. But and here's another interesting little tidbit, which also suggests to me that. Uh, You know, also the laziness of the audience in not meeting this movie halfway as something different. Roger Ebert, who, you know, I respect greatly. This movie is on his most
1: hated list.
0: Right. But he wrote (laughs) this. He did not understand this movie to the point that he actually wrote in his review that this movie picks up at the end of Halloween 2. So even going Mm. into the movie, once the movie had started, he did not understand. You
1: know what? I read his review.
0: You're right. He did not understand that that this wasn't an anth- that this was an anthology movie. So when even you're the leading film critic of the time. Yeah. He,
1: so, so he didn't he, get it. He assumed that she was sifting through the ashes of what happened at the end of Halloween 2. Right. Not picking up on that she was sifting through the ashes of what happened in this movie so there's also you know there's a a, there's
0: there's also a kind of a I think I think you know part I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say I think the audience are also somewhat to blame for for doing that kind of tunnel vision fan thing I mean not from from me but he just disrespects horror basically and horror sequels in particular but
1: um but so yeah we're at a place where Tom will vehemently defend this movie. Hey, I've already and told Matt you I don't will... like the robots. Right. So, But we have one for and one against. And what I, I'm finding interesting as I'm listening to the two of you is I'm on the fence in between. I officially deca- declared this as a bad movie. And towards the bottom of my list of the four single sequels... I really want to like this movie more than I find myself able to, for all the reasons you've discussed, Tom. And like you have said, Matt, on paper, good idea for a movie. I love the idea of the anthology. Uh, I, you know, I find it kind of sublimely fantastic, this idea of a sci-fi movie (laughs) with with the robots. All of that appeals to me, but... The piece of shit man at the center of it really got under. Rem- played by Tom. I'll say Which his name. Change it. Played by it Tom Atkins, who I love it, as an actor. It changes actor. everything. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't. Though for me, it doesn't it, oh. change
0: everything. Phil Phil Nobile Jr. from Fangoria would also vehemently disagree. The with you.
1: second her tit goes in his mouth, I'm like, oh Jesus, get me out of this fucking movie and there's too much of that bullshit peppered throughout this movie for me to to really like it. There are things, plenty of things I like in this movie, but at the end of the day, it's a misfire. Let me ask the you before- this. Let me yeah. ask you
2: guys this. Um or like Tom cuz I, I feel like uh um somebody needs to pitch this movie like what is the story if it's not Michael Myers chasing well, everybody let, let what, me, is, let me, what is the story of this movie
0: well let me tell you like the, the origin look, I mean it, you know I have the benefit of knowing like how this script got written mm. so the original well I can give you the pitch that Deborah Hill gave to Nigel Neal, who wrote the the first the foundational draft of this script which was it's uh, witchcraft Meets the Computer Age That's all she said to him And he came up with Okay that's there Roughly what's on screen now uh, Minus Robots And plus racism <laughs> So the next The next pass was a Uncredited John Carpenter rewrites And he was mainly concerned With toning down the anti-Irish Sentiment in the movie because I mean, there's a fair bit of stereotyping and and uh, like Blarney here, but apparently he, John Carpenter described the original Nigel Neal script as like, you know, it was like a southern segregationist take on the British-Irish relationship.
2: Oh, wow. holy shit. Yeah. And this um, is right in the middle of The Troubles.
0: Right. right. And then to- and then uh, then Tommy Lee Wallace did another rewrite, which is, I think I think is where the if I remember correctly, the robots came into it. So,
2: oh, it's just a Frankenstein.
0: This has been passed through a few monster. hands,
1: but. Yeah, right. Exactly. That's what I was just going to say. It sounds like a Frankenstein movie.
0: But, um, you know, not, not uh, Nigel Neil's idea, which I think is still translates on screen, is that, you know, this it's a satire of the. Corruptive influence of commercial television and Nigel Neal. For those of you who don't know, was uh, um, a, largely a television writer from Britain who um, was responsible for writing Quatermass, which was television and then film, um, the Stone Tape the uh future of the sex olympics and often this idea of like broadcast media as a source of horror mixed in with hype high- with science fiction was always kind of in his work and i think it still largely exists on those terms um but nigel neal did take his name off it he wasn't happy he wasn't he didn't think it was horrific enough which is interesting given what we we're saying mm. um about the movie uh john carpenter i think definitely took it down the invasion of the body snatchers route because you know he's into remaking 1950s uh horror sci-fi um how you know that he's he's definitely into that that kind of pastiche form um and tommy lee wallace brought the robots. So, uh, <laughs> well, That's, this, is, this is how, as I understand that, um, that it went, but i um, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's science fiction satire. The storyline is more or less, uh, invasion of the body snatchers. And in fact, the ending of this movie reinstates the original ending to that movie, which was replaced by a censors' ending, which was more of a kind of happy ending where, uh, it was originally supposed to end on that same cliffhanger where you didn't know whether the pod people were going to take over the world or not. Um, and uh, All
1: right, well, um, let's that. take let's take our first break. Uh we have we have a lot of background for, for for further discussion and we'll take a break and when we come back, we'll dive deeper into the season of the witch. It's almost time. Please. Right after this, the clock is ticking. Be in front of your TV sets for the horror. And remember the big giveaway at nine. Don't miss it. And don't forget to wear your masks. The clock is ticking. It's almost time.
0: If you're anything like me, you spend the majority of the day wondering whether you want coffee, beer, or wine. Whichever way you fall, Brew Bar has you covered. Located in the heart of 3rd Avenue Village in glorious downtown Chula Vista, California, which is also my neck of the woods. Brew Bar is a coffee shop, bar and eatery rolled into one delightful package. Tim and Alex run the place and let me tell you listeners, these guys know their coffee. And after you've been in their company, so will you. They turn me on to pour over and it's literally all I drink now. If for some crazy reason you don't want to try the best coffee in the world, they've got espresso drinks, all kinds of teas and even coffee cocktails. You heard me. Coffee tails. And we're just getting started. Bottle service on craft beer and wine, alcoholic and caffeinated potions, an all-day food menu with plenty of vegan options. All served up in an atmosphere hip enough to know you're getting the best quality, but not too hip that you feel the need to drive to 7-Eleven and get a bucket of brown swill. Brew Bar, it's the best place to be for beer, wine, coffee and tea. And if you go, you might even see me
1: and ladies and gentlemen, we are back. The three of us are here discussing Halloween Three: Season of the Witch. All right, guys.
2: Let me start by issuing an apology to Tom Atkins. Um, I, <laughs> Too late. <laughs> I I rep- I represent the estate of Tom Atkins. I have I have I I have reflected, and uh, I. I am guilty of taking on my anger on the movie on uh, the actor involved uh, in executing the movie. I don't think he is a bad actor. Um, I just found, as you were saying, Mike, there's something just so um, unappealing and sort of tasteless about the main character of this movie. Anyway, I don't know if, you know, I, I suggested Steve Gutenberg might've made him palatable to me, but I don't even think lovely, sweet Steve Gutenberg uh, would have, no, um, not
1: sweet, Gutenberg? I don't
2: think so. I think I would have been just as angry at Steve Gutenberg. So I'm am, I am angry at the character.
1: Yeah, me too. And yeah. I am I'm angry, angry at, the, at character. the
2: filmmaker.
1: I have a note here that says when, when Ellie speaks the line, where do you want to sleep? I assumed that Tom Atkins was going to say, in your vagina.
2: <laughs> he might as <laughs> well have said
1: that. That's well, what that's where I figured the, this movie was going. That was the subtext it, of his answer. Yeah. The central I mean this this is
0: this is this uh, representationally the central problem here is is that they let him off the hook so often by making it seem that every woman in this movie is available to him at all times. Yes. Yeah. Like that's the big problem is the fact that whenever he you know in these moments where implausibly he suddenly becomes chivalrous and respectful of boundaries uh all the emphasis is put on the fact that the women are inviting him to sexually harass well this speaks to statu- commit statutory rape on them yeah and this... it's just you know you just don't buy it uh and it's and in fact in fact you're just more like well you know It's
1: he's clearly putting that out into the world, too. Well, that's the the thing. So the problem with this movie and Matt, you talked about this in, I think, our introductory episode talking about these movies were the brain food we were fed when we were kids. And this character is treated by all other characters in this movie like he's a scamp. Yeah, the movie. And he's not a scamp. He's more of a predator. He's a he's a predator
2: and a criminal, and and he's he's negligent. Um, he he has no business practicing medicine. He has no business. Um, so
1: here's the premise of this film: um, somebody kills one of his patients, runs out of the hospital, blows himself up in his own car, and this character looks at that car burning up like, oh, that's peculiar. Yeah,
2: it, it, there's so many that there's so many moments where you're like, that's an under you're pretty underwhelmed by what is supposed to be terrifying me as the audience. Like, yeah. like the, your main character in a horror film is your cypher, right? It's they, they, they are doing the things that you wish you could do. They are feeling all the same feelings that you're supposed to feel when they're scared, you're scared and, and, and vice versa. And, and um, the, the sort of m- muddy, like trying to read into this man's feelings. (laughs) It's like, it's like, it's like kind of trying to see through a glass of mud with some cigarette butts put out in it. Like it just, you can't really see into what this guy is doing. The premise of this movie is a doctor loses a, a patient in a very bizarre and mysterious way. And the patient's daughter who is distraught. He feels for this patient's daughter, who is distraught, that her she believes her father was murdered, that he didn't die sort of accidentally, and together they set off to solve the father's murder. I can say that in 25 words or less, um, and it makes kind of sense, where you're like, okay, doctor sort of is self-deputized as an amateur detective, um, yeah, it's like Quincy. Yeah, like we kind of yeah. love, we kind of love to see amateur detectives. Diagnosis murder. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, but you were saying, Tom, like, he's not even good at that. Like, he, no. he's a det- <laughs> Like, I I would rather see Encyclopedia Brown solve this case. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but in terms of what you said about, I like, I don't know, obviously, you know, I don't identify with the toxic masculinity, you know, even if maybe I'm guilty of some of his inappropriate behavior. I'm not saying I'm not, but I don't identify with it. I definitely identify with how out of depth he is at all times. And that's where my identification point is. The the mo- one of my favorite moments in this movie is when he engages into a fight with what we later find out are androids. At this point we just think they're kind of henchmen. We think they're and Aryans.
2: He, Little Reaganites. And he yeah, pu- yeah exactly. punches
0: <laughs> Aryan Reaganites. He just he kinda of punches um, yeah. Yeah. Daniel punches. And it has no effect and he just says, Oh Jesus <laughs> <laughs> I thought I thought he is what I would be in a fight of this nature. But there's And nothing even, of... even when he's saving the day, he's walking he's he reminds me of like Oliver Hardy in the middle of a piece of physical comedy. And <laughs> I I think it's that bumbling nature that that you're absolutely right, it, it's completely wrong for a horror protagonist but he's he's my kind of victim although in the movie he's treated as a hero right but this movie also treats a man who is not villainous in any way as a villain so i i don't know what's
2: going on except he's trying to murder the nation's children en masse yeah so uh, so that's that, the that other his thing reasons, about this movie is the masks can we talk about the masks for
1: a second yeah. okay go okay right, so go right.
2: part of part of, part of, what at the root of um, so it, just when you think that this movie is on Wait, solid hang on, footing Matt.
1: P.S. hang on for just yeah. a moment for the audience if you haven't seen this movie P.S. the plot of this movie has something to do with Stonehenge yeah we'll right. get to Stonehenge. Stonehenge go on
2: okay so so the this is the thing that I remember again I had not, not even, I don't even think I've seen the other Halloween movies but I saw this one when I was a kid and I remember the masks, and I remember the magic pumpkin, and I remember the jingle. I remember all of it. It made a, a real stamp on me. Um, and so there is something, I will say, inherently creepy and horror about this idea insofar as it scared an eight-year-old. Um, I don't know if it would scare an adult. It certainly didn't scare me watching it now, but um, but there's th- this isn't as patently ridiculous as it may sound. But the idea is that... At the bottom of all these murders, there are a a, a brand of wildly popular, for no apparent reason, wildly popular masks for sale this Halloween that every child must have. They're the must have masks uh, for Halloween. And these masks uh, ultimately on the night of Halloween will will kill all the children.
0: Uh, or or at the very least turn them into insects
2: or or robots we're not sure what the masks (laughs) are ultimately going to do to you but it's bad uh and turn all your insides into insects and and um that it's going to be a mass a mass death event um uh on halloween to what
1: end I'm not sure the movie even knows.
2: I'm not sure the movie even knows either. So so,
1: uh, so that's what, some, so,
2: so, so the, 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 the amateur detective story, the sort of the Nancy Drew story takes us to, um, the factory. small, the small, uh, Northern California yeah. town, which is for some reason entirely Irish. Um, you know, to the point of everybody has the lilting, you know, uh, uh, accent, um, and this town in Northern California is where the masks are made. It's the mask factory. Um, and Santa
0: Mira, yeah.
2: Santa Mira, which I guess is a nod to the body snatcher movie. That was the name of the town in body snatchers.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I might as well be. Yeah.
2: It's a, it's a made up town name if there ever was one. Um, yeah. Uh, and so it's
1: no Nilbog. What's Nilbog? <laughs> Actually it's very Nilbog and That's just as true. green. Nilbog is the town uh, in uh, Goblin Two or uh, Troll Trolls Two. 2. Sorry, <laughs> Goblin Two it's is about Troll. no <laughs> trolls. Two. There are no trolls. It's just goblins. <laughs> See again, setting
2: expectations and meeting expectations. The movie business has a power to do both, yet it sometimes fails uh, to right. uh, to to agree. Um, so this the the masks at the center of this. I thought here was a real wasted opportunity. Like in in if I could sort of go back in time and kind of be in on that <laughs> stakeholders meeting of what should we do with Halloween 3, you know, I, at first going into this movie, I thought, oh, are they gonna tell me that like the problem with Michael Myers wasn't Michael Myers, but it was like something about wearing a mask and that a mask is sort of the superpower of Halloween. Like it has it has a transformative quality. To people and can turn people into things that they're not. And I thought, oh, these masks are going to turn all of these kids who are wearing these masks are going to turn them into killers. And you're going to have all of these like kids murdering their parents on Halloween all across the nation. And that now
1: there's a good idea. That felt
2: like a fucking dynamite sequel. And then I was like, oh no, the masks kill them, or they turn them into insects or robots by the end. I it it the merry-go-round of this movie starts to break down so early and so um, fundamentally for me that, you know, all of the, um, uh, all of the Scotch tape in the world is not going to, um, for <laughs> right. me, it's not going to like hold this, this, uh, this movie together. And then you add on top of that, these really tasteless elements, like the, um, the sex scenes. And here's my, fa- here's, here's my favorite Tom Atkins moment. Are you ready? It's go. my favorite moment for this character. To me, this is this moment in the movie is so perfectly realized in telling me exactly who this character is. This is right before the 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 first act break when they're when when uh, the doctor and the 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 daughter of the slain man are gonna go to Santa Mira to investigate um, uh, what what her, what her dad was doing <laughs> I know in this what town. You're <laughs> right before they leave um he the problem his ongoing problem is he keeps kind of bailing on his children um and he yes. has to like put it off yet again and so the scene is this he's standing at a payphone sort of it's a, it's one of those uh, it's not in a phone booth it's just a payphone and it's a little lower and he's kind of got his arm uh like on top of like one arm uh yeah. leaning on the payphone and it's a close up of, of of Tom Atkins and And he's on the phone with his wife saying, like, tell them I'll be there, you know, I can't make it today. Tell them I'll be there as soon as I can. I gotta go do this thing. There's a medical conference. I have to he's like weaving this tapestry of lies about what he's about to go do and who he's about to go do it with. He says, Tell them I'll be there on Halloween, no matter what, we'll be trick-or-treating. I gotta go. He hangs up. And he moves and he moves out of frame to reveal a six-pack of beer on Mm -hmm. top of the payphone where he's like i can't be with you children i gotta go hang up reveal beer grabs beer gets in car with 22 year old girl to go to the quote-unquote medical conference like it was this moment where i was like i know this guy i know everything i need to know about him there's nothing I like. Don't like him. Uh, there's there's nothing like he's my villain, and I'm kind of stapled to this guy for the rest of the movie. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what I like about. It. And, <laughs> and and he's so clearly not even going to get to the bottom of this murder because no. of the six pack of beer. It's like who who's gonna go solve a mystery without a sixer? Nobody. And who uh, like a sixer? Of think... High life. It was
1: like this. this, this, this Cheap ass. And who for even one second believes he'll be on the doorstep of his children's right. home to take them trick or treat
2: Not even his children believe no. that.
1: I, I, on that same
0: scene, I made the note, uh, every new scene, there's three new reasons to dislike Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> he's taken a six-pack on a road trip, he's neglecting his children, he's lying to his ex. Um... I think I actually as I and I may be I may be misremembering it, but I think that scene is even better than how you described it. I think you can even see the six pack like throughout the shot, but you just assume it belongs to like a homeless no, guy no, it, I, I Who left it there and it, it's at the end of no. the end when he hangs up the phone and then picks it up that you realize that it's just <laughs> his beer for
1: the road <laughs> it's incredible
2: (laughs) (laughs) no it is it it's the way somebody would grab like a bag of chips for the road yeah like it's this is not right this is not getting drunk beer this is not getting drunk beer this is just for the for the drive to the hour and a half drive to santa mira beer that's all this is oh god i love this movie it's the worst
1: Did you think about all the missed opportunities they had, too, because of how shitty this character is? Because I kept thinking, yeah, what if he was not an alcoholic, but an alcoholic in recovery who, because of his alcoholism, is not allowed to see his kids at all. And then starts on this journey with this younger woman. And instead of having sex with her, has a paternal relationship build with her. I guess I kept, that was just not of that th- shit kept
2: that was bubbling
1: n- up. I was like, why didn't they do this?
2: Yeah. That was not on the menu in 1982. Like that That's was, true. that was just none of that. What you described was on the, was, was the, among the list two, of possible choices. Cav- like
0: two caveats to that.
2: You're not wrong, Mike,
0: but the, the two caveats to that is, I, I mean, I've seen this movie of maybe like three times now. The first time when I saw it, I thought, well, this is like, this is actually quite a big departure for, the Halloween audience who are used to a much younger cast. Mm-hmm. Um, right. You know, it's like to suddenly have Tom Atkins as your lead. It, I I, thought, I can see why that's difficult to take. But think about the first two Halloween movies. They're all based around the partnership of, I mean, they're not on screen much together, but it's the two poles of those movies. Donald Pleasance as Dr. Loomis. Um, Jamie Lee Curtis as Laurie Strode. And this is just that same. I mean, they're never they really don't working have
1: sex together, though.
2: They're not on screen together, and they don't have sex. But it's like it's the same because like, because we we th- somewhere he never somewhere somebody, somebody knew somebody knew mouth. somewhere somebody knew not to. Have a love scene between Donald Pleasance and Jamie Lee Curtis. Like somebody, right, exactly. there was a taste. Yeah, exactly. There right. was a. Um, I can tell you for a fact it was considered. Yeah, like, like there, they're just there, there was somebody there eventually, to just say no. That's not a. That's not a good idea. We're yeah. not going to do that.
1: Also, i got a fun fact about this movie. The very first shot that Tom Atkins and Stacy Nelkin shot the sex scene. Oh god. It's like welcome to hollywood kind of, right? Just... Well, his ass looked
0: too his ass looked too good that day to pass it up,
2: I think. Oh, he, that they just I think he was he moved was like it up this ass is
0: not going to stay this shape once I get to craft services.
1: He said, it "Tommy, now. I got to talk to you." I got a I'm window. A good ass day. <laughs> I think we got to go hotel room first. There's a
0: great there's a great documentary. It's five hours long, so you really need to be hardcore to, to, to stick it through. Uh, it's available, I think, on Shudder called In Search of Darkness. It's about 80s horror, and it goes year by year. And Tom Atkins is an interviewee in here, and he is absolutely delightful. And when he's talking about Halloween 3 season of The Witch, the first thing he says, uh, and I assume, I don't even know if a question was asked. And he just went, "Oh yeah, that's where you see my ass." Yeah. Back when I had an ass. Oh
2: god. <laughs> Barely. <laughs> How old would you put Tom Atkins at at the filming of this movie? Don't look it up.
0: Anywhere from forty-two
1: to seventy-eight. <laughs> no. <laughs>
2: what would you say, he's, Mike?
1: He's. But I think I think I'm right when I say he's like forty-seven, and she's. 12
2: 22 you're you're almost dead on mike he was 48 he was 48 okay. and she was 23 but i but you're ah. not but you're not wrong either um tom because because he looks like it's he's a hard-lived 48 like he's been yeah, he's he, been road hard you, and hung you know up i wet. like he looks like he's pushing 60 and later on
0: in the movie they reveal that uh, Conal Cochrane is a Highlander. They mention it very casually. It seems like a big deal to me that he, he's kind of immortal. Yeah. Uh, I would not be surprised if the same revelation came out
2: about Tom. Atkins, I wouldn't be surprised either.
0: He's been alive for hundreds of years. I, I'm just saying. I just I'm wanted... just saying
2: that there's that there's that there is in movies, and this is persistent to this day. In movies, there is this sort of um, um, uh, you know a tacit assumption that um, it's it's okay uh, for older men to be with younger women, um, you know, and for yeah. actors to right. have love scenes with, with actresses half their age. Um, and so that is definitely at play here. Um, and I would just say for people who haven't watched this movie, it's, it's only that sort of uneasiness is only made worse by the fact that, that she doesn't even look 23 yet and he looks right. way older than 48. So it really has like not a father daughter kind of split it has like a grandpa grandkid kind of split to it to watch this which is made why it made it so unwatchable for me um and i just was like "Ugh, get me get me through this the next you know 90 seconds of this sex scene cuz it's 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 mercifully short i'll give it that um and uh, well something
0: that really backfires is when they and I, I can assume, uh, well, I'm assuming, to give the script writers the benefit of the doubt, they're like, we should probably address this age disparity. They, pro- I think they were probably so thinking that this- So after they say, have sex. So after they've had sex multiple times, <laughs> I think it's inferred. Yeah. Oh, it's shown um, multiple times. He asks her how he old she is. He says, wait a minute, is. how
1: old are you? <laughs> she, yeah. she
0: doesn't really get, she gives an ambiguous answer, and they continue on. So, that's not helping. (laughs) It's like, oh, okay, statutory rape is on the cards.
2: Fine. I said said this, it was the least sexy first kiss since Dolly Parton and James Woods in Straight Talk.
1: Straight Talk!
2: (laughs) (laughs) See, that makes me sick.
1: (laughs) I can't believe you wrote that down because I didn't write it down, but I thought of it because I remember us watching that movie... Yeah, and talking about. I think I think, I think together. that's I think
2: that's that's for me the one in Straight Talk is the worst screen kiss of all time, um, and uh, and this one was a because I close did I did second.
1: yeah, I did write down worst first kiss ever.
2: Yeah, it really it really was. Um, no, and 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 oh, I'm, I'm looking at my notes again, Tom. Going back to the payphone scene, we don't see the six pack until he says the line, "I'll call you Monday." That's what he says. (laughs) I'll call you Monday. Reveal six pack. And it's like right there. Like you kind of get everything you need to know about that, um, about that guy. Um, He he also, um, uh, when they get to Santa Mira um, and they, (laughs) when they get to Santa Mira and she's like, they check into the hotel and she's like rip rare to go to like go to the factory to investigate why her father might have <laughs> been killed. He has this line, yeah. slow down, slow down, it's getting late. I could use a drink. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where like we see, clearly just, see what his priorities are. He has, hey, no he desire. got
0: information from that homeless guy. Oh my god. By giving him a I have a note about like that. A, Let's give him some credit. Oh, the
2: town drunk, <laughs> the town the the, the it, it,
0: yeah, like you can see it exactly the moments where the racism is cut from this movie, because that drunk is about to go on an anti-Irish tirade. Yes. And you can see that they've the Carpenters just like cut the
1: rest of the speech. <laughs> I have a note that says Earn, insert homeless man with exposition. Thank you. Yeah, he's a kind of crazy Ralph sort of
0: character. Right. Um, But also, it was Mike... I mean, we've started, you know, being in the middle of a pandemic, Mike and I have started picking out, like, our COVID moments from the from the movies. Mike had yeah. one in Rambo 3, which is like, that's too many people in <laughs> close proximity. Um, and here for me, it was that I was just I thought, this is my COVID moment when when Daniel gives a homeless man a swig of yes! his open bottle of liquor. And then, But then I thought, actually everything Tom Atkins does in this movie is COVID unsafe. <laughs> he is a walking <laughs> Like vector. literally everything he does is is does not respect social distancing. Not at all. Even for, even in a non-pandemic situation.
1: <laughs> oh, man. All right, let's take a, a second break, and then we'll come back, and we will finish up Halloween 3, kids. Season of the Witch, the right after this. Be in front of your TV sets for the horathon. and remember the big giveaway at 9. And don't miss it, and don't forget to wear your masks. The clock is ticking. It's almost time.
0: they're on instagram they'll try new beers they'll tell you about beers. think of them as your beer sherfers guiding you up a foamy headed mountain to reach the peak of your pint.
1: god i need a beer we are back ladies and gentlemen the three of us again here talking about halloween three season of the witch directed by tommy lee wallace all right gents Let's talk about the baddies. Oh,
0: I love my, one of my favorite baddies. is it? One of
1: my I knew it would be favorite baddies. Although every time I see him, I want especially cuz this movie has fucking robots in it,
0: <laughs> I just wanted
1: him to go RoboCop 2 and say behave yourselves.
2: Cuz there's oh, nothing yeah. I love more
1: than than when he yells at two robots to behave themselves.
2: I think on, on, on paper, there's nothing wrong with this guy. And I like the actor and I like the performance. It's, it, it's just basically imagine an evil Willy Wonka. I mean, it's essentially what you, what you have. You, yeah, you have absolutely. An Evil Willy Wonka. I don't Wonka. think he's that evil. Well, he does want to murder all the children in the world. Yeah, but he's got his in America. reasons. He does. It it, it he No, he, he doesn't. He it's to settle it. He the, himself he, says he wants to recalibrate he himself, Halloween. He wants to make Halloween yeah. scary again. Um, exactly. To, to Not just that though. Phrase.
1: He says he says that this is what he's going to do and then he says, "Why do I need a reason?"
0: Well, yeah, but then they then they follow up with a speech where he says, I, I'm I'm a druid, and I know that this is not what Halloween should be, so...
1: I've been around
0: a while. I'm always, old.
1: Every once in a while, we just have to bathe the yeah. fucking old country in blood, is what he says. Yeah, And I think, that, you know, as the movie goes P.S. on... P.S. with mo- the power of Stonehenge. Can we I talk think about as the mo- that?
0: The movie goes on, it moves, it, it kind of shifts the blame towards the TV executives who want to get rich off these commercials i really genuinely think that's how it goes
2: i think he he definitely uses the um uh this sort of there's a cynical nature to what he's doing and how he's going to bathe the world in blood um by by sort of um taking into uh, turning 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 uh uh, you know the, the image of kids staring dumbly at television sets Right which again right. this is 1982 because, this is also the year of Poltergeist Yeah that
1: goes right back to my childhood Yeah
2: like like this this was a, um you know we talked about a little stop bit in stop Airplane 2 too We talked about a little bit in Airplane 2 where um um the 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 our parents age at that point one of the one of their anxieties was that their children were staring at the television too much because we were playing video games on them and we were Uh, watching you know watching tv and so uh uh, you have here
1: if only they knew you have
2: here the uh the twin anxieties of of kids staring at tv and there are these new things called computers and video games and i don't know what they're gonna kill us all and so like 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 halloween two manages to um to fuse the two in the way that like it takes it takes the kids staring at TV aspect from poltergeist, and the computers are gonna destroy us all from war games, and it turns it into one one thing, and somehow the battery that runs this whole enterprise is a stolen stonehenge. Stone
1: for a Stonehenge, yes. Please. Well, I mean That's the battery.
0: Early on, early on in the movie when we see the, the the gas station, a gas station attendant who is African American, yes. and boy, do we know it because we have to have a whole scene about how he didn't murder the guy he's bringing in. Yeah, right. yeah
2: that was
1: <laughs> that got awkward fast. I was just told <laughs> to help somebody when you see somebody who needs help. Yeah, <laughs> and he—I'm not one of those, you know, black people that person. Reagan's talking about. Yeah. I'm just um, a regular person.
0: But uh, anyway, he's watching, I don't know what station he's watching that has this British news report on. Yes, I love it. <laughs> the middle of the For night one. gas
2: stations, Guy somehow has the BBC on in 1982. Right, right. Yeah. exactly. In, in this kind of early cable era.
0: Um, but uh, on a TV in a gas station, as you say. But, uh, you know, it, it, it's that moment and we have them in virtually all the sequels that we've done. It's like, ooh, okay, can't wait to call back to that.
2: Yeah, right. And, and because that, that, that they planted that where they did and when they did it, it flew completely by me until later on, I was like, I kind of vaguely remember at some point in this movie, there was a news program on about the mystery of the missing Stonehenge rock. Yeah. Which, you know, uh, I mean, Jesus Christ, <laughs> like, did you need these computers to be powered by the magic of Stonehenge? Like isn't that any a point? Computers
0: at all, really? Oh god!
2: But isn't there a point at which somebody just throws a yellow flag and Nix say you've that. gone too far? We don't. Well, yeah, no, they exactly. added it.
0: I mean, that's the. I mean, it's like the robots. It's like, yeah, they they again. It's that it's that early eighties thing of being missed as you exactly as you said, Matt. Like being mystified by new technology to the point that you just don't know what to do with it. Except for it to be pure MacGuffin, I just love that. Like like, mm -hmm. that's all you can do with it. And um, but you know the original the original Deborah Hill logline for this was it's it's witchcraft meets the computer age. That's what Nigel Neal wrote to. Mm -hmm. Um, He wrote this something that was very satirical. He knew how to get horror out of it. And in the subsequent rewrites, they took all the horror out of it. It's interesting. And it comes; it actually comes across as I think more, more on the satirical side, you know, about about television, about you know children being corrupted by television, um, the profiteers, you know, who just won a forty-three share, right, uh, for their net, you know, the major networks, all that stuff is like, it's dominant here. Uh, at the expense of like suspense and horror and traditional terror, which is why I think this is science fi- satirical science fiction, not scary science fiction. It's
2: certainly not scary. Um, no, yeah. it's certainly <laughs> no. not scary. And 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 I think you're right. I think it does. And have then a point, they panicked and to said, "Oh, that.
0: we need robots."
2: That I, I just never understood the leap. That. The this is one of those, um, Mike. We've talked about this before. Um, you know my you, you know my take on deep blue sea um <laughs> and my take on deep blue sea is 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 um you know in in trying to cure alzheimer's the scientists uh uh make sharks intelligent accidentally yeah, write
1: a paper about that <laughs>
2: yeah and then and then, and that's the that's the thing it's like hey you you guys are done you know you don't have to um you don't have to worry about the alzheimer's thing anymore like you you publish the fact that you've figured out how to make sharks intelligent, you know, I I I look at this in the same sort of way. There's like this Willy Wonka character. He's figured out a way to make these uh, automatons, um, mm. you know, these these uh, uh, you know realistic automatons. Um, but that's not his real goal. His real goal is to make Halloween masks that shoot lasers into the base of people's skulls that um, uh, turn them into um, mush and bug mush people. mush and bug people. And and that it's like a 13 year old kid got hold of the script. It's great. It's like and 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 (laughs) the and the automatons were just a step along the way where it's like, no, you could have you could have bathed the world in blood with your besuited assassins. You know that, that. Exactly. Right. You know, you didn't need the mask thing. And so it's like it's a hat on a hat on a hat eventually and, and then insane. and that's what i get to like like you talk talking about a 13 year old getting hold of the script it's like and you keep doing that and like and then the masks are all somehow powered by microchips and computers and these things that we don't understand um and and here's the real secret uh of that is that the little chip inside the computer is actually a chip from stonehenge and now it's like we are so far from shore you know, by the yeah. time we get to and the chip <laughs> and the microchip is is
1: land is not in we sight. We are so
2: far from shore that th- that we are lost. We are now officially lost at sea. And the movie is tries to kind of wrap itself up in you know this this um, you know uh, uh, destroy the factory, make it out just by the skin of your teeth with the young girl, only to find that she's somehow now a robot, and that she now like sort of they pull this they take the last half hour of terminator and they kind of condense it into you know a minute and a yeah. half and uh, and she just kind of keeps dying and reappearing uh, it, it, it just the, the there's nothing that the film can do to kind of come back from the from the contortions that it took to get to like. except the there is an deal.
0: absolutely brilliant cliffhanger ending that reinstates uh you know the original ending of invasion of the body snatches that they weren't allowed <laughs> to do at the time brilliant i Perfect. agree with
2: you that, that 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 the ending that the that the final shot and the final <laughs> thing of him back at the gas station you know with our friend yeah. the gas station guy not not that, he's well, back not that their started.
0: previous acquaintance has anything to do with the story <laughs>
2: no nope. not at all not that <laughs> it never the gas station the gas station guy never goes wait were you the doctor from that no no no, <laughs> yeah, no. <never. laughs> nothing it's just it nope. was the same thing of no like of like we need a set we got an extra day like we're gonna just <laughs> we're gonna get uh uh yeah we'll get the actor over here and we'll uh and we'll just make it happen um he's got to make the phone call from somewhere and right. and so this is the um uh, this apparently is the first gas station you run into when you flee Santa Mir- Mira.
1: Exactly, when you flee.
2: <laughs> um, and, uh... <laughs> Next gas station, 300 miles. Right. If, you're, yeah. if you're fleeing Santa Mira and you need to make a call or warn anybody about anything, this is where you're going to have to stop.
1: Yeah. Um, which, by the way, begs the question, because when they drive to Santa Mira and this gas station is in within running distance of that gas station. Right. When they drive to Santa it's Mira. It's all day. They drive a it's while. It's all day. Yeah. And yet the gas station attendant takes the guy, her, you know, Ellie's father to his hospital. Right.
2: So the geography does not match Which is apparently
1: up. days away. Yeah
2: the ge- or on, uh,
1: you know all day
2: the geography does not I match think of it like that Simpsons
0: no. episode where homer realizes that his commute to work is circuitous and that he actually lives behind the, the power plant that's the way i <laughs> right. think <of> it. <laughs> right that they were like we're
2: going to go to santa mira and we're going to go around well, the plant in car the other and way.
1: waves to margin, but <laughs> right <laughs> i got a couple things i want to talk about one in the 13 year old boy this is just a, a quip, but referencing the thirteen-year-old boy that got a hold of this script, I kept imagining John Hurd's character from *Big*, like sitting down with other grown-up writers and saying, "This doesn't. This just. This doesn't happen. You don't just walk into a room and say bugs, and bugs get into your movie." Yeah. I kept imagining that as like part of the writers' room for this movie, because yeah. of all the nonsense. Two. I want to talk about Ellie as a robot because I have a theory that she was not a robot the whole time and You're that correct. she's still strapped somewhere yeah. in that factory. Yeah. I think
2: she was, she was, yeah, I think she was a living, breathing person. And my sense, my, my confusion was, I didn't know if the events of the movie turned her into a robot or if that, <laughs> because that's completely within the realm of possibility.
1: <laughs> That that's not like when he dropped the buttons, the lasers. One yeah. of the lasers well, hit her and turned her into a. She robot? turned her into a robot,
2: or that, or that she was is like you said. She was just strapped down. She never left the table where she was imprisoned, the room where she was imprisoned, and that he had just done the whole getaway with. the He
1: rescued the, wrong... the robot.
2: They either they made right. a robot version of her or they right. transmogrified her into a robot. Um. Either one within the sca- scope of the f- logic of the film is completely plausible, and but and, and both are deeply unsatisfying. I, I just
0: I... and it's not out of character for Daniel to go into entirely the wrong room.
2: But yes,
0: it's like <laughs> it's it's like okay, that's the she's in that room, and then he just forgets, you know, what it is along the way, takes a swig of his brown paper bag liquor, and yeah, and or goes, that gets the wrong room, or that he
2: never paid. Such close attention to her before that he would notice if she had been swapped with a robot.
0: It's it's all it's all a mess, and I, I it's a total misstep. I don't know why the reveal of Ellie, the reveal of Ellie as a robot, doesn't serve any plot function except to give us like a, a kind of few jump scares, which are, end up looking unintentionally hilarious, partly because of how badly tom atkins and action combine in this movie but also because <laughs> you know it's absolutely ludicrous that he keeps getting attacked by different parts of a robot that oh, is yeah. body. already broken Speak, yeah. speaking
2: of tom atkins and action i'm gonna give you my favorite my f- if my favorite part of the movie was the six-pack on the t- on the payphone yeah, s- mine too my second favorite part of the movie was he is at some point he's running he's he's in a foot chase from the police in Santa Mira, or or not yeah. the police but you know the 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 Reaganite the assassins Reagan bots. yeah but they're on what they're in is? cars they're in cars and he is running on foot and you can picture this town it's like the town from the birds it's just this like a uh, kind of Petaluma esque um, you know or, or you know uh, Bodega Bay kind of coastal Northern California town and he's running. Um, you know, uh, it's very quiet at night. And so he's running, trying to, um, stay out of sight from the cars that are kind of roaming the, 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 the little small downtown of this area. And, mm-hmm. and he waits for a car to pass and he makes a break for it in the way that your hero does. When the car passes, you make a break for it and you, and you run to the next thing that's going to hide you. And so we see in one shot, they don't even cut away and try to make this look good. <laughs> you just see... They just see him run across the street and yeah. he's 48 years old. He looks 67. <laughs> and, and the move is I'm going to dive into the bushes next to the picket fence and hide. And they, and they just have the actor do it. And you see this yeah. man leap into the bushes and fall into the bushes with the exact amount of grace <laughs> that you imagine uh, he would do. <laughs> Which is to say, no grace at all. There is this oof kind of uh, moment yeah. where you I felt I felt pain. <laughs> I felt like oh he cracked a rib. He definitely cracked a rib <laughs> on that one. Um his his sort of I'm constantly living in fear for for
0: like
1: what how Daniel's gonna end up. The, he I was mean, not
2: he, he was not ready for this. There was n-
1: That's no. what brings you to the edge of your seat for this movie, Tom, is how it went poor uh, he's, I daniel white a bone a bone i, a brittle I, I think
0: bone. he's he's not ready for this is kind of what i i like I, you know i, I there the, but toxic masculinity rapist aside you know he's this he's this this affable potentially middle-aged man kind of potentially he's he dragged, dragged into this situation and and he plays that um, there's something about the end and he plays it with a deft and a light touch where he can and that that's what uh, this to me did not look I mean, like it goes beyond redeem this, char- this character for me it makes me actually enjoy him and similarly with, with Conal Cochran and Dano O'Hurley's performance I just get the sense that he's a nice older gentleman who is cheery for no reason and I love people like that <laughs> and it's just, there's a wonderful scene where he he just walks out of the factory, looks at his pocket watch, up to the sky, and just like, chuckles to himself. I was like, this is a guy I want to be around. <laughs> and it makes everything Except that he for does... Except murdering all the children, he's delightful. Well, I, yeah, but I mean, culture is letting him do it. I think that's the point here. I'm all... F- they don't give a shit, you know, the the, the the people don't give a shit what he's doing to these kids as long as he makes them a buck. Right? I, 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 Up to I a have, point? I actually
2: had no problem with the the evil Willy Wonka. No. Um, I, I, I,
0: it's what everyone loves about this movie, even people who hate these yeah. movies, his performance yeah, and absolutely. his characterization of... of what you expect to be... I mean, it, it's the thing. It's like the, the expect... Right from the, the first time you see him, the expectation is that he is going... You know, he's going to be monstrous. And, you know, he turns on a dime sometimes and you see that other side of him. For the majority of the time, like, the way he presents himself to people is the for cuppers. real. It's like... <laughs> the way he talks to people and how cheery and all this kind of fake Irish charm mm-hmm. that he has is actually not. It's actually... His character. And I love the fact that there's no, like, you know, even when he's foiled, he just gives Daniel a round of applause. And I was like, yeah, that's what a nice old gentleman would do in that situation. There's <laughs> I no, like, Blofeld,
1: I'll get I you loved, next time. Yeah, I loved the polite golf clap. Yeah. That yeah. was great.
2: Well... It- that like i said i i've for 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 his performance and moments like that that were in a in a bubble delightful um i just felt like the movie was so far at sea like there was just no it was beyond it was beyond rescue and 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 i'm all for... at that point you're right i'm all for a i'm yeah. all for a an anti-hero and and i think um you know there's something you know there's you know, there's there's this character and then, you know, you can look at a character like you can look at you know, Nick, Nick Nolte in 48 Hours as being uh, sort of an analog of like a guy who's, you know, who can't maintain a relationship, who, you know, is, is on the bubble of being sort of acceptable to society. Um, but there's still kind of one thing that he, um, there's still one thing that he's going to do right there's still one thing that he values Mm -hmm. i I just feel like with with this character with daniel um there's just there's like like what is his superpower like what is his thing like he's not even a good enough doctor in the way that yeah i think that's what it tries to trade on and so it's so it's so bizarre and like and his sort of masculinity is like the thing (laughs) i'm so on board where it's like, where it's like in the scene the I was, rugged masculinity. In the scene I was describing, where like him, it's not that rugged. In where he's like on a <laughs> in a foot chase, like I'm worried about his plantar fasciitis. Like that's what I'm worried about. <laughs> you don't want he's that. Not like at his some knees point, high enough. <laughs> no, he's gonna pull something and and or or crack a rib and and, uh, you know, at a certain point you want I think no matter how anti-hero your hero is you want them you want to be on their side and you want to see that there is something that they can do really well and admirably and better than anybody else in the world of this film and he's continually outmatched outrun out yeah decent oh, decent yeah, at
1: every corner
0: but that i mean that's the thing the way the way this movie comes out and i don't you know, I think this is probably a palimpsest of of the way that this script was mangled and the way that the filming didn't go to plan. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it ends up that he's far... That Daniel as a character is far more monstrous than the uh, quote-unquote villain of the piece. And I, in the same way that, you know, that weird duality of Piranha satisfies me greatly, that satisfies me, like... An untold amount here. I don't think that aspect of it was intentional. I think there's actually a lot of things that are intentional are working here. That is not one of them. But it delights me to no end that there's a that you know all the scenes with the the villain and the hero. That the evil guy is nice. You can the nice see the point of evil. view of the villain a hundred percent more than this. You know, uh, this absolute. Garbage pile of a man, <laughs> who we have, whose eyes we are seeing this movie through. Right. <laughs> but that's that's a, that's accidental, and and without the Tom Atkins filter, I don't know. I, I think I probably would have felt the same.
1: Interesting. And Did without pick- the
0: Dan O'Hurley filter, I probably wouldn't have felt the same about Cochrane too. Um. But, uh. You're certainly right that no, Mm -hmm. even the, even the, even the most anti-heroic characters that you can think of that are comparable to this have never gone this far in terms of sheer incompetence and, uh, inability.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Did you pick up, Tom, going back to my idea of you love this movie because secretly it's a James Bond movie? There's a moment where Daniel steals a cart and hides behind the cart as he's moving the cart in front of the robots. And I thought, no wonder Tom. I wrote down Tom loves this movie. That's from GoldenEye, 13 years before GoldenEye. <laughs> <laughs> well, but there,
0: there is I mean, all of my favorite, not necessarily a Bond thing, but like all of my favorite moments are some kind of Tom Atkins physicality. Like, his entrance in the movie, going all the way back to the beginning, he does a fake-out headless horseman. Like, you think (laughs) he's headless. He walks through the door of his house, you think he's headless. He's just wearing his jacket over his head. Later on in the movie, entirely seriously, he slinks down in a phone booth in a particularly comic way. Um... He wears his yeah. jacket like a shoulder pad at one point. The best jacket acting I have ever seen. Only Martin Sheen comes <laughs> close. <laughs> um, so uh... again, it's those those touches. You know, those touches. Uh, there might not... be a T-shirt there. Jacket acting. Jacket acting is is abs. You know, I I I'm really won over by that aspect of it. But yeah, for for sure. This is definitely in uh, in my wheelhouse, and we haven't even talked about the the morgue assistant who he relies on for all his information. Who another is exactly person like Money Penny, yeah, another person he's
1: harassing.
0: Unrequ- he flirts with her unrequited love um, between them. Um, he treats her as his secretary, even though she's not his secretary, and neither was Money Penny, Bond's right. secretary. Um, so. Yeah, there's definitely those, and you know, he is, he is like, I think we alluded to this in the mini-sode, but he, Daniel, Dr. Daniel Chalice is like Bond as he really would be in the world, just this horrible drunk womanizer. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> Misguided fucking With, cool. you know,
0: with uh, with um, deeply retrograde, retrograde views about women.
2: I I absolutely. all I have to say this, this, this I'm just I'm glad the children see their dad as little as they do. Um, yeah, absolutely, uh, oh, absolutely. He's better away from them. Yeah, he needs to be away from them. That's 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 my uh, and it's yeah, I, I, I'm sitting here thinking and asking myself what is the for me what is like why why is piranha to so bad it's good and entertaining. And this movie for me is so bad it's bad. Um, and because it's not bad <coughs> is my answer. <laughs> I think for me it ha- it comes it comes down to like like this baseline um, uh, I would not mind it at all if this character of, of, of Dr. Daniel um, was not our main character. If Ellie was our main character, I would have a completely yeah. different view of yeah. this movie, honestly.
0: You'd need a better actor, but for sure. Yeah, you'd need a better actor She, she playing. She her, has yeah. she
2: has the most clear objective, she has the purest motives. Um, right. she Unless she's a robot. Unless she's a robot. She's <laughs> a distinct yeah, unless She's <laughs> a fucking <laughs> hell. robot. Right,
1: exactly. They undercut that. So I, you we know, don't know when she became
2: a robot, although did he have sex with a robot? Exactly, that's the question. Where it's well, like, And that's
1: the other thing I don't like about it because it lets him off the hook for all his shitty behavior with her. Well, who cares? She's a robot. Your Honor, she was a
0: robot. Case dismissed. In my defense, she was a robot.
1: You've said that twice. Now put your but pants back But she was 12 on. years old. She was but a 12-year-old a robot.
2: <laughs> <laughs> can, we, can we call this uh, Time Served? yeah it's uh it's yeah I, I i'm 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 i haven't i haven't moved
0: no <laughs> neither have i
2: but uh the the ones like i i think it's
0: interesting as well like that you're absolutely like the the background of of daniel being a terrible father and you know his fam- the family life broken down the only plot reason I see that for being in there, apart from like expanding on the character, Mm -hmm. is that his wife doesn't believe him when he says, turn the TV off, because he does nothing but lie to her. So, it's a kind of boy-who-cried-wolf situation, and that... Factors into the you know that means that we end on this cliffhanger moment where he don't know whether his own children are going to die because of this. So that factors in somewhat, but otherwise, I I don't see any other reason for him to be a to be as bad a father as he's rep- or him to have children at all. It would be much simpler yeah, if he did. I wish he had much never had children. <laughs> but I think you know, like he he. You know, and many people have pointed out the irony that in order to kind of, like, save... Not that he knows he's doing this, but in order to kind of save the nation's children, he leaves his children in jeopardy. <laughs> leaves his own flesh yeah. and blood in jeopardy to do that. Yeah, mm-hmm. And, and he, that's something I don't think the film has kind of quite put together.
1: No, uh, yeah.
2: And he, he hasn't done anything to... Um he hasn't done anything to sort of redeem himself
1: or stop
2: anything bad from happening he has only made more bad things happen i mean maybe uh there was yes. a phase 2 of 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 uh evil willy wonka's plan i mean clearly you know this factory was still loaded up with boxes there were piles of boxes everywhere and i kept thinking like it's it's 2 days to halloween shouldn't all these masks have shipped like it should like the, the warehouse should be empty but there's just boxes everywhere in this warehouse so I'm thinking well there's got to be a phase two uh, of this and maybe he stopped that from happening but um, you know the movie ends with um, him trying to get people to turn off their TVs and, and take the commercial off the air the commercial that's going to kill all the children and you know mm-hmm. he obviously doesn't he's not going to be able to do that you know and certainly it, it also seems that like the east coast time zone like that that ship sailed like that's those, kids are, yeah, those exactly. kids are dead and gone <laughs> those
1: kids are fucked <laughs>
0: from the point at which Daniel says uh, midway through the movie I think we need the marines it's very clear that he doesn't know how anything works
2: no we are not in good hands with like he is not the man for the hour he is not this is this is he's not ready for I, I was alarmed
0: early on in the movie when he's watching a cartoon in the bar that he drinks at every single day during the day and he looks, he looks at the cartoon on the TV as if it's going over his head. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's a doctor. A surgeon, I believe. Yes,
2: He is in this bar. He's the only one in the bar because they couldn't afford extras. He's the only one in the bar. And the bar plays uh, cartoons uh, unless a patron asks for something else to be put on, at which point the bartender will put on not. the football game. Yeah. I was thinking what bar is this? And then this is the bar where that when Ellie comes in, she says one of the nurses told me you you would you would be here. And I thought, oh, this is there's a hospital with a bar in it. I think this is the only explanation that this is the hospital's <laughs> bar.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: Like an airport lounge, this, this is, is the hospital bar.
0: It's where he gets his
1: rubbing alcohol. <laughs> yeah, like beastings. Exactly. It reminds me but of an old um, George Carlin joke. Daniel reminds me of an old George Carlin joke where he says, "Somewhere in the world right now is the worst doctor." By process of elimination, there has to be the worst doctor, and Daniel's that man. Yes,
0: he is. That's it's, it's the uh, that is it. This movie is the punchline to a George Carlin joke. Yeah. Um, But also, speaking of, like, not being able to afford extras, did either of you notice that that just after the, um, the car explosion, the firefighter who Daniel is talking to, but he's not talking back, and he's doing this, like, like... This uh, internal monologue because he's a non-speaking extra and they can't afford to give him lines and he's doing this kind of non-speaking extra mime (laughs) of kind of slightly moving his hands in a shrugging way where his internal monologue is going you can keep talking to me but I can't talk back (laughs) because they can't afford to pay me And this is what I mean about like there are some great performances in these these movies. There are some fucking atrocious. Yes, performances it, across the oh, board.
2: Yeah. Across the board, you you do see these people that you're like, you 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 go uh, uh, did they could they afford to give him one more line? No, they they nope. they kept him as an under five. Um and yeah, uh, exactly. You know and and uh, or that he was a non-speaking extra, or he had a non-speaking role and and uh, act act as he might, um, he couldn't actually utter a word.
0: Allie's not much better. No, I mean, it, it, no. it does. It
2: seems like everybody's... Oh, God, it's just, this whole movie seems like it was just getting... Just, just the corners were being cut everywhere. Um,
1: Which is strange yeah. when you're starting from a place of, I want to... Like reinvigorate and re, like come up with a brand new vision. Yeah. For how to do the. It is a, a new brand new vision. Yeah. yeah. It's a
2: brand new vision, it but it seems so tired and cynical and um, resentful of itself. Um, there's so much <laughs> anger, self-directed anger, <laughs> that I get from this it's movie. It's the
0: first internet thriller. Come on, guys. Oh God. Interconnected microchips. Come on. This is I'm happy stuff. to I'm
1: happy to to let you have the last word there Tom. Yeah. Anything else? Um. Well, the John Carpenter score is great.
0: I think. <laughs> is there a bad John Carpenter to score out there? I don't think.
2: so. I think that's really good. I would I would also say. Um, I made a note here that the most believable moment in the movie, and I'm just going to let this, I'm not going to contextualize this for the listeners. I'm just going to say nah. the most believable moment in this movie was when uh, a woman picked at a microchip with a bobby pin and got her face blown off by a blue laser. That was, to me, that was like the, the, the Agreed, simplest yeah. chain of events. Pick at, the, pick at the microchip and it will shoot a blue laser into your face.
1: And I would just end with this movie lost the battle with Creep Show Show Two, in bugs bursting out of people. For sure. Yeah. Fucking E.G. Marshall.
2: Yeah, that. The, I mean, the cockroaches. Yeah. Yeah. That that is infinitely I mean, some, more terrifying there are than what we some gratuitously
0: grisly deaths in here. They just never. They're, they're That's it. They they stay grisly. They everything about this movie is grisly and creepy, but it never transitions into scares i mean the the closest you get is when is when daniel's money penny is killed and that they try to like they try to call back to some of the suspense driven killings that made the halloween franchise but for the most part it's it's uh you know uh creepy crawly kind of horror which is you know not very effective unless you happen to be averse to all those things
2: i got That's I, I got the last word i got i got more creepy crawly out of seeing tom atkins bare ass than, than <laughs> any of the bugs or snakes that that um, appeared he gives hank he gives hank hills
0: you know non-ass uh, a run for its mm-hmm. money I'll, I'll give you that
1: even the man who loves this film will describe his last words of it as not effective all right (laughs) ladies and gentlemen that's it it's not a horror
0: movie
1: (laughs) halloween 3 season of the witch Uh, If we, God forbid, missed anything about this movie, let us know. We're going to do another episode, so it's fine. Yeah, exactly. Tell us what you think. Uh, Find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Send us an email to everythingsequel at gmail.com. For Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions, our special guest host, Matthew Aldrich, I am Michael Schantz of the How Dare You Awards. We're going to be pitching sequels next time. Stay tuned. Say goodbye, boys. So long.
0: Oh three more days to Halloween, 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 three more days to Halloween, silver shamrock. Don't
1: miss it.